You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Rock of Ages, the one who holds us fast and firm till the kingdom comes. We pray now that you would come among us. We welcome and recognize your presence here by the power of the Spirit. We long to hear your voice, and we long to be those who respond to your voice, that we would walk away not unchanged, but with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again, church. So good to see you, especially if you're visiting with us. We've been studying this, this uh, I guess we started in early February or early January, the, the, um, the Gospel of Mark. So we're looking at this book, working through it together, looking at the way of Jesus, um, really asking how the way of Jesus can not just be his way, but can become our way also. So this morning, we are hearing from Mark chapter 2, verses 26 through chapter 3, verse 6. So if you want to open your Bibles to that section of Scripture... Um, Craig and Heather Hia are going to be reading to us today. So let's hear God's word as they read. Mark 2, 23 through 36. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're calling this sermon series The Way of Jesus. And I think one of the things that we're seeing pretty quickly is that one of the ways of Jesus is the way of conflict. That Jesus seems to be a person who provokes a whole lot of conflict around him, especially among the most religious people. In fact, if you go back later and look in your Bibles, at the beginning of chapter 2, through chapter 3, verse 6, Mark records five conflicts in a row, each of them that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his time because Jesus is challenging, deeply challenging their assumptions about the priorities of God and his kingdom. And let me just say this as an aside. If, if you are a person or if you're listening to this today and you're a person who has a, a big problem with organized religion, and there's a lot of people increasingly these days who do, you should really check out Jesus. Because um, there's hardly anybody who has more of a problem with the abuses 
of religion than Jesus himself. He was constantly coming into conflict with the most religious people of his time. And my guess is, is that if you have an opposition to Christianity, I just would invite you to interrogate that a little bit because it's probably, your beef is probably not with Jesus. Your beef is probably with what people have done with the message of Jesus himself. So just an aside. So let's look at these last two conflicts that Mark records, number four and number five, in these two stories. Both of these conflicts are around a religious concept, in this case, the religious concept of the Sabbath. Now, to us modern people, Sabbath sounds like something really old and dusty and draconian and not particularly relevant to us modern people today. And Jesus himself seems to even shrug it off a little bit in this story. But I want us to look carefully at this story because I think what we'll find when we look at it carefully is that Jesus is not actually dismissing the Sabbath. To the contrary, he is saying that he has come to fulfill the Sabbath in himself and he calls his followers to be people of the Sabbath. So that's what we wanna look at today. So let's look at just three things together. First, we're gonna look at the meaning of the Sabbath. What is it really all about? And then we'll look at the fulfillment of the Sabbath that Jesus says he's come to do. And third, we'll look at the people of the Sabbath, how we can live as people of Sabbath. Okay, you guys up for that? Okay, great. So first, let's look at the meaning of the Sabbath. And let's give a little context especially if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or, or, or never really heard this term before. Um, the command to keep a Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Anybody here uh, remember which of the commandment the Sabbath command is? Anybody, class? Number four. Good job, Tracy. You don't really count because you're a Sunday school teacher, but, um, <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. Um, so in this commandment, God commands his people to rest one out of every seven days. And the way that the Jewish people did that, and actually they still do it this way today, is they Sabbath, they stop from their labor and their work from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. During that time, people commanded that everyone, not just the adults, but the children, the servants, even the cows and the donkeys, kids, the animals had to stop working. Everybody stopped working for a 24-hour period. Now, at first glance, this seems awesome, right? Like God commands you to take a nap, get some rest, right? It seems awesome. The pro- here's the problem, is that over the centuries, lots of questions came up about how to actually do this. Like what actually constitutes work? What constitutes rest? Some things are obvious about work, like you shouldn't dig a, dig a hole or something with a shovel, but what about like making dinner for your family? What about feeding the cow that needs to be fed? You know, what about tying your shoe or taking a long walk? And so over the years, there was a, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, developed a whole book called the Mishnah that was a series of many, 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 many rules and regulations giving careful instructions about how to keep the Sabbath in every conceivable situation. So literally, there's like one in the Mishnah about if you're, If a building falls down on the Sabbath, you are allowed to peek through the rubble to see if there's any people that are still alive. And if there is someone alive, you can pull them out of the rubble, but if they're dead, you have to leave them there until sunset. So literally, every conceivable situation, super detailed. And the Pharisees had become like Sabbath police, like walking around with their rulers, ready to slap you on the knuckles 
if you're doing something wrong or if you're breaking one of the Sabbath rules, okay? So that's, that's the context. That's the situation about how things had become in the time of Jesus. So here comes Jesus. Now, what does Jesus like to do, friends? Break the rules. Jesus likes to break the rules. He's, you can call him a holy rule breaker, right? You could be one too. Um, so Jesus, Jesus walks along, and uh, these two things that we find him doing are a explicit breaking of two of the Mishnah rules. So the first one, they're picking off heads of grain um, and they're rubbing them in their hands, which was considered harvesting, which was prohibited on the Sabbath day. The second one, um, Jesus heals a man's shriveled hand, and unless a person was in a life-threatening condition, no healing or helping anyone who was sick was allowed. And so in both of these situations, Jesus is explicitly stepping across this line to cause provocation and conflict, and oh, does he ever, right? So, so in our modern years, I think what Jesus is doing sounds really awesome, right? Like we just think about their rules and all the stuff in the Sabbath, and we think, go, go, you go, Jesus. Sabbath, Shabbath. You know, who needs a stinking Sabbath? Uh, you know, like, like it just seems so silly and ridiculous that they would have all of these. Jesus is coming away to just get rid of the Sabbath. You go, Jesus. Not so fast, though. Because when you look carefully at what Jesus is saying, look at what he does. He does not say, I am the Lord, so the Sabbath does not apply to me. Ha ha. He does not say, I've come, come to do away with the Sabbath. What does he say? Look, look with me at verse 28. What does he say? Anybody have an answer here? What does Jesus say? Thank you, Brooke. One day, someone other than a staff or former staff person should answer my question. Okay? This is not a setup. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's fine, Brooke. I know you're very eager. Um, yeah. So, so he says, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which actually is kind of amazing because he's saying, not only am I not coming away to do away the Sabbath, I'm here to intensify the Sabbath. In fact, Sabbath is central to my identity as the Messiah. Sabbath is what I'm all about. Whoa, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, let's go back and, and look at the command itself. Let's look at Exodus. Uh, you don't have to turn your Bibles. I have it up on the screen. But in Exodus chapter 20, when the, when the command is given, this is what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then it lists all the different people and animals that may not work. And then it says, for, listen to this. This is really important. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what's that saying? It's saying God worked for six days and then God rested. And trust me, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested to enjoy the fruit of God's creation, to enjoy all that he had made. So I've worked and I rested, says God, and I've made you to be like me. And so I made you to be just like that. You work and then you rest and enjoy the light in what you've done, the light in the earth, the light in the world. You work and you rest. You work and you rest. God's made you to labor. He's made you to work. He's made you to contribute to the world, but he's also made you to rest. And this is how it works best to be a human being. Just like when you buy a car or when you have a car, it comes with manufacturer instructions about how that car will last. And usually that means like changing the oil every 3,000 miles. 
You can do like me when I was in college. I completely ignored that and just kept driving and driving and driving and driving because it felt like it was, it was fine. And then one day the engine burns out. And you could do that if you want. You can just keep working and keep working. But guess what? The engine will burn out. If you do not follow the manufacturer's instructions, this is how God designed life to work. It's designed humanity to work, designed creation to work, to follow in this pattern of work and rest. And it's so important to God that he actually put it right up there with committing adultery and not murdering somebody. That's how serious God says this is, that when you ignore this command, you are denying your humanity, you're rejecting my created order, and you are disobeying the one who made you. That's how serious this is. So, why don't we take this seriously? Why, why do we treat the Sabbath command like we treat the prohibition tag on the mattress in our house that says, do not remove under penalty of law? We're like, haha, yeah, right. Right? No one ever takes that seriously. Why do we treat the Sabbath that way? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is because of the context of our culture that we're in. We, are, we live in a time which it is very difficult to rest. Uh, in our culture, our identity is wrapped so much up in our work. When we meet people for the first time, what do you, what's one of the first questions that you ask them? What do you do? When we talk to little kids, what do we ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? And trust me, when you ask a little kid that, you are not hoping or expecting them to say, when I grow up, I want to be a wise, generous, Christ-like human being. No, we want them to say astronaut, you know, or, or firefighter, or nurse, or teacher, right? Even, even, we, even, we even evaluate the worth of this little human being on the basis of what they will ultimately contribute productively to society. How scary and sad is that, right? If I were to ask you, who are you? It's most likely one of the first answers to come in your mind would be about what you do, how you work, what you achieve, what you produce. So our sense of identity is so wrapped up in our work, and so our sense of value and worth is wrapped up in our work and what we accomplish. And so what that means is we end up comparing ourselves to other people. Um, we continuously are just striving for more. We take so much pride in being busy. You know how many times I've asked people how they are, and they say, Busy? Busy is not a feeling. Check out your feelings wheel, man. It's not on there, right? <laughs> right, brother? <laughs> um, so this is a serious problem, but it is a deeper, it's, it's, it is a physical problem. All of us are worn out. All of us are super tired. We don't sleep enough. We drive our kids too hard. This is a physical problem. That is a broken thing in our culture, but it is more than a physical problem. It's a problem of the soul. Judith Shulevitz is a Jewish journalist who wrote a, who's written a lot about the Sabbath. And um, I, just, I was so touched by one thing that she wrote about in an article that she wrote about the Sabbath in the New York Times. She said that in ancient Israel, the purpose of the Sabbath is this, to still the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Do you know about that? Do you have that murmur <laughs> inside of you to still the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach? She's talking about like the white noise inside of your soul. It's always there. Beneath all of your working and striving and performing and accomplishing and doing is this, this nagging murmur that says, you're not enough, your accomplishments are not enough, you don't measure up. And that in turn feeds the striving 
we think that we can actually quiet that murmur by doing more, working harder, being better, accomplishing more, achieving more, but you end up always just looking around and there's some family whose kids are always you know, more well-rounded or going to better colleges, or some guy who's more successful or performing better than you, or some house, somebody's family who has a bigger, bigger house than you, or a car that's shinier than you. And so the murmur just keeps going, that murmur of self-reproach, telling you that you are not okay, telling you that you are not enough. So the problem that the Sabbath is trying to address, this is what I'm getting at. The problem that the Sabbath is trying to address is not just that our bodies need rest. God wants to give you through the Sabbath soul rest. He wants to still the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach that tells you constantly that you are not okay and that you're not enough. He wants to give you a deep soul rest and that's a thing that only God alone can give. That's the purpose of the Sabbath, a deep rest of soul. Do you have that? So that's the purpose. So the question is, how do we get it? Do you just need to take more naps? Do you uh, need better vacations in really beautiful places? Do you get that rest by laying on the couch and binge watching Netflix? No. You can ignore the murmur in the soul by doing those things, but you cannot quiet the murmur. It's sort of like, um, this is how sleep works. I don't know much about sleep, but from what I understand, um, your body can really only rest when you go into deep REM sleep. That's really how your, your body's restored. So you couldn't take eight one-hour naps and feel refreshed because your body wouldn't have the time and space to actually enter into deep REM sleep. What you need is the space to go deep into a place of restoration. And this is the same thing. Trying to make that inner murmur of shame and restlessness in your soul go away with like a nap or a vacation or an occasional escape is like trying to rest and heal your body through taking occasional naps. It doesn't work. And this is what Jesus is condemning the religious leaders for. He says, you have missed the point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not made for man. The Sabbath is not like some monster that you have to appease by keeping the rules. The Sabbath, this, the, man is not made for Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath is a gift from God so that you might, through the Sabbath, be restored and experience that deep rest of soul that only God alone can give. And so and Jesus says, you with all of your rules and all of your doing and all of your striving and all of your religion and all of your morality, you're not giving people rest. You're giving them restlessness. You're keeping up shame. You're keeping up judgment. You're making people feel even more worse than they already feel. Why are you doing this to them? And then Jesus says this. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He doesn't do away with the Sabbath. He says, all the Sabbath rules, they point to me. Because I'm the only one, Jesus is saying here, I'm the only one who can give you the deep rest of soul that you need and to finally quiet that inner murmur 
inside your life. We sang earlier this amazing song um, that Brooke sang to us, and it quoted Jesus' words from the cross. Jesus says from the cross, Tetelestai, which in Aramaic means it's done, it's finished. What's done? The work of salvation. What's done is all of the striving, all of the earning, all the performing, all of the relentless, ceaseless attempts to be something, to earn something, to perform. All of that has ended, Jesus says, because he on the cross, his death and resurrection, has done everything necessary for your life and for your salvation. Here is a definition of being a Christian. Here's one way to say it. Being a Christian is someone who rests in the finished work of Jesus. Being a Christian is someone who rests in the finished work of Jesus. Some of you are younger than me. Some of you are older than me. I'm about in between. I'm in my mid-40s. So I'm young enough to still think to have some idealism, but old enough to be cynical. Um, and here's what I've realized. I'm in my mid-40s, and this is what I've finally realized. Um, life is going to be an unfinished symphony forever. It's never going to stop. I'm never going to actually do what I think I need to do. I'm never going to accomplish what I actually want to accomplish. Everything will always feel unfinished. I'll never feel like I am enough. I'll never feel like I've done enough. I'll never feel like I've worked hard enough. I'll never feel like that I have, you know, the things that I would have hoped 15 years ago I would have wanted to be. I will never be a good enough parent. I'll never be a good enough husband. I'll never be a kind enough man. I'll never be an accomplished enough person. And what do you, so what do you do to that? Do you just keep trying? Do you just work harder? Do you just do what religion tells you to do? Just try to be better? No. The countercultural answer of the gospel is, in the face of the unfinished project that is your life, you do nothing. You rest in the finished work of Jesus, who has already done everything for you, who's already accomplished everything you, who's already performed everything for you. You simply rest in the fact that you now have an identity that is apart from your accomplishments, apart from your resume, apart from anything that you could ever do, that you have an identity that is fixed in Jesus Christ, that in Christ you are now the beloved. And you can rest in that truth. Um, I, you know, it's the Olympics, and so I can't help using, um, I, this is a really old illustration, I know, and a lot of you probably never even heard of this movie, but there's this really old movie called Chariots of Fire. Any of y'all ever seen that old movie, Chariots of Fire? It's a great movie. And there's two elite athletes in the movie, Harold Abrams and Eric Little. And each of them are fierce competitors, and they're striving for the gold in the 100-meter dash. And they each have two signature lines in the film. Harold Abrams says this, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. He is one of the greatest runners in the world because he has tied up his whole worth with his performance. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. That's his perspective. And what's Eric Little's perspective? When I run, I feel his pleasure. He already has everything he needs. He already is whole. He doesn't need a gold medal to tell him that he's worth something. He just runs because it's awesome. 
and just to feel the pleasure of God. And the ironic thing is at the end of the movie, Little drops out of the race because he doesn't care about it that much. And Abrams wins the race and wins the gold, but he's driven to depression because it does not still the inner murmur of self-reproach. The only way we find the rest we need is to rest in the one who says to us, it's finished. You can rest in me. So that's how Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. He's the Lord of it. So let me just end uh, with, it's always really bad when a preacher looks at his watch, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, But I promise I'm about to end. Let me just end by asking this. How can we be people of the Sabbath? Because if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, then we should be people of the Sabbath. So what does that mean? Well, I could preach a whole sermon. Actually, I did last summer, this past summer. I preached a whole sermon on how to practice the Sabbath. So if you want some very practical guidance, you go back and listen to that. It's on the website. But let me just offer these two quick things. We can have, I want to commend to you an inner, an inner practice of saying no and an outward practice of saying yes. So the inner practice of saying no to striving, saying no to striving. So um, in um, Deuteronomy 15, God tells his people to take a Sabbath to remember that they are no longer slaves. You're, you're, you, don't, you don't have to drive, slaves didn't get a rest, slaves didn't get a vacation, but you're not slaves anymore. So by taking a break, which no one else around them in, the, in other cultures did, by taking a break, you are, resisting, you are resisting the surrounding culture and you are saying, I am no longer defined by my work, I'm defined by my belonging to God. So when you take a Sabbath, friends, you're not just resting your body, you're resisting. You're saying no to being a slave to your labor and you're ordering your life not around your accomplishments but around God's love for you. So what you do is you stop. I commend that you do this, whether it's once a week or a little time each day. You stop. That's actually what Sabbath means. Shabbat means stop. You stop, and you, even if you're in the middle of something, even if you're in the middle of a to-do list, and you reclaim your truest identity as God's beloved. Marva Dawn says this, Sabbath ceasing means not to cease, to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive, from the worry and tension that accompany our modern criterion of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, from our possessiveness and our culturation, and finally from the humdrum and meaninglessness that result when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. In our very secular Western culture, I believe that one of the most radical acts of resistance that you and I could do is nothing. To actually stop and not be productive. And to just simply rest. When I was the college pastor here about 15 years ago, there was a really dynamic group of college students at University of Richmond, and they decided as an act of countercultural resistance on campus, they were going to take Sunday afternoon and evening off. And so when everybody else was going to the libraries to study their brains out, they went out to the grassy fields, and they sat around, and they played frisbee, and they took naps, and it freaked everybody out. They were like, what do you know that we don't know? Why aren't you doing your homework? Uh, are you trying to sabotage us? Like they almost created a riot on campus just because they were doing nothing. So what would it mean for you to resist the culture of demanding, striving, and productivity to stop and remember that you are not your accomplishments, but you are whole in Christ? What I do, um, you know, Sunday is not very restful for me. Um, so what I do is, you know, I, I, care, I care way too much about what people think about me. Um, 
Monday morning, I often wake up and I'm, rem- I'm just like going through everything about Sunday. Oh my gosh, I, I, sh- I, I, sh- I botched that. I should have said this. I should have said that. I didn't do that well. I didn't do this well. And, you know, I want to check my inbox to see who's writing me to complain, who's writing me to encourage. Like, like I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm frenetic. And so Monday morning is a very powerful Sabbath moment for me to turn off my phone, turn off my inbox, set it all aside, to rest in God's grace, and remember who I am. I am God's beloved. And you need that too. So how are you going to take time to stop, say no to striving? But the outward practice is to stop and say yes to your neighbor. I love this story so much. I love Jesus so much. And one of the reasons why I love Jesus so much is because he over and over again sides with the vulnerable over against the powerful. Almost every conflict he's in, this is what Jesus does. And he does it here. It says, verse five, he looks around them at anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He is furious that the people in power would use their stupid Sabbath laws as a way to prevent them from healing somebody in need. And this is God's heart. This is God's heart. And Sabbath is a weekly opportunity. God says Sabbath is not just a moment for you to rest your body. It's for you to remember the work that God is doing to rest creation, that he is bringing shalom, that he's coming alongside the most broken and horrible and oppressed people and places in the world and God wants to restore and God wants to heal and Jesus stands for them. The weakest, the most oppressed, the most poor of society in the world, Jesus stands for them and a Sabbath is a time for us to remember what God is up to in the world. Walter Brueggemann writes this, Sabbath is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement rather than production and consumption defines our lives. Worship that does not lead to neighborly compassion and justice cannot be faithful worship of Yahweh. The offer is a phony Sabbath. Y'all, if we never stop, never slow down, never lift up our heads to see God in his kingdom, never stop just focusing on our own lives and our own agenda and our own kids and our own futures and our own plans and our own stock portfolios and all the things that we worry about, then we will miss what God is up to in the world. And what is God up to in the world? God is restoring all things. And God's heart is for the oppressed. God's heart is for the vulnerable. God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the broken. And Sabbath is a moment to look up out of our own self-centered agendas and remember and see our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, what God is up to in the world. So one friend uses Sundays as a day to call people that he knows in his life that are in deep need. Another friend takes walks through parts of the city that he's never been to before on Sundays to really observe and see what God is up to. Another friend takes time to consider and meditate on the forgotten and the needy and the poor. And still another guy I know uses Sundays to pray for the world in different ways. Maybe you'd give extended attention to a particular country of need or individuals you know in hardship. So how are you stopping the accomplishing, consuming, and possessing, all of which is oriented around the self, and turning out instead towards those that God loves, your neighbor and those in need? So friends, I will close. Jesus is indeed the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the good news. You are more loved than you ever imagined. And it has absolutely nothing to do with anything you ever accomplished or anything you ever will. You belong to God in Christ. And to rest in that truth is a revolutionary act. You are not a slave. You must rebel against the oppressive forces of the world, that inner murmur in the soul, 
And God is inviting you to rest in the finished work of Jesus for you. I'll close with these lines from the great, this hymn from James Proctor. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that in you we are complete. And now, like Eric Little, our striving and our work and our efforts are not for the purpose of earning anything, but simply responding to your love. We do it out of pleasure. We do it out of joy. Help us to be people who every week, every day, return to Jesus so that we might reclaim who we are and so that we may turn away from ourselves and towards our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.